Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Volref Feed. This is the show to find out more about the world of commercial food service. I'm your host, Rich Rupp, product trainer and chef at the Volrath Company. And as always, I'm joined by our producer and co-host, Justin Pearson. Justin, how are you today? I'm doing great today, Rich. How about yourself? Eh, I'd say that, but I'd be lying. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just one of those days, right? I feel you. Actually, it's looking good because we're on the podcast, right? That's right. Well, you know, it... Every day can't be perfect. Every day can't be great. You know, there, there's those ebbs and flows, those ups uh, and downs, and we got to roll with them. Yeah, that's a fact. That's a fact. But again, podcast day, at least this couple hours, pretty good time. There we go. Yeah. All right. So today, we're going to learn more about the world of large-scale food service. When organization, I think when they get bigger, uh, the numbers kind of get scary. You know, for a guy like me that's worked in I worked in a resort and a couple hundred, maybe 500 was a big banquet for us. But um, for some people, big numbers like 20,000, I mean, that's that's just what they think about every day. So it's always fun for me to hear our guests that come on to talk about those those big numbers. And um, that's one of our guests or one of the things our guest today will be thinking, covering some of the numbers he's used to doing. But what does that mean in today's world, right? So today we have Joey Martin who is the senior executive chef at UCLA. So big numbers, and I hope he'll have some interesting things to tell us about serving that many people, and then, of course, what's going on in the world, and should be an interesting show. Yeah, well, and, and going from big numbers to probably not so many numbers. Yes. And, How's and that then f- what, what you have to do to, to ramp back up mm-hmm. to, to get back to those big numbers. Or do you, are you still creating the same numbers and you're just doing something else with, with what you're producing? You know, that's... Yeah, I think the numbers are down. They, they have to be. Those kids just aren't at school. Yeah. And, you know, I feel bad for the kids because college is a time where so many kids, you know, you leave home, a lot of kids for the first time, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, go to a place maybe you want to always go, like a kid from small town Wisconsin, maybe they want to go to UCLA, see what that's all about. And decide for themselves if they like that lifestyle or if they want to come back to a smaller town in, say, the Midwest. But I, feel, I do feel bad for the kids. Some of the teachers, probably not so much the schools, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the kids and the and some of the teachers, I think, Yeah, I, I feel bad for that. And Well, yeah, they really are being deprived of a lot of that uh, college experience yeah. where you, you, you do so much personal growth and mm-hmm. you're figuring out who you are what you want to do and hopefully you figure out what you want to do i mean it took me forever and i still feel like i'm figuring that out day to day (laughs) (laughs) and you know as we talked a little bit here in the beginning that um with big schools they are just as hard hit in food service as food services throughout the rest of the the country or world it's one of the hardest hit areas um with covid going on so we'll be interested to hear what um, what Joey's thinking there. He's, he's a creative guy. He's worked in a couple other places. He's worked at the Ritz. He's worked at uh, another big op- outlet, Staples Center. So some big places. He's He's got to be used to those larger venues Yeah, and how much, that's changing. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure working at uh, Staples really set him up for, for UCLA, you know, dealing mm-hmm. with large volume and uh, – 
diverse vendors and uh, diverse clientele as well. I'm sure he's got some good stories about it all. So hopefully we'll look, <laughs> yeah, forward to, sure. look forward to that. Another area that I'm sure Joey has to deal with is think about a school like UCLA. When, when the kids come to visit that school, food service is absolutely viewed as one of the draws. Mm-hmm. Is my kid going to have a nice place? Is it you know, diverse enough? Do they have enough different, um, not only types of cuisines, but uh, settings that you can eat in? Is it spaced out? So the more of those you have, I'm sure as a big school, you can afford to have a lot of them, the the more of those you're going to have to shut down. And how do you decide then? How do you shut those down? Mm-hmm. And you know which ones are the the ones that uh, go first? And how do you pair that back and still offer a diverse enough menu for all the kids that have those dietary restrictions or they have those those uh, certain foods and, and cuisines that they really favor? So there's got to be some thought put in. How do you go from all those different outlets and concepts down to just a handful? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I... I would be willing to bet that it has, it might be similar to what a QSR does when they're evaluating ingredients on their, on their menu, and when they decide to cut something because it is only used in one thing, you know, there's there's probably some correlation there uh, right. as to what formula works for when you have to roll back on certain items. Right, but if you have an area that's a um... Mexican food. I mean, that, that do you decide that you're going to try to roll some of those entrees into another area so you still offer that type of cuisine? But what if it's Indian and you you can't easily roll in maybe the, I don't know. I think it's just going to be interesting to hear how he's, how he's juggling it all and trying to be accommodating to all the students, his customers, mm-hmm. um, keeping in mind the diets, keeping like we talked with uh, Carol from UCLA about the dietary restrictions and the things that students are looking for in that area now you, you, he's got to balance all that as with all our guests the things that they do every day that we don't really understand until we talk to them and it'll be interesting i'm sure well justin i think we uh, need to get to the meat of the show today you know all this food talk we've got and uh, just to remind everyone then our guest today is joey martin who is the senior executive chef at ucla joey welcome to the volrath feed thank you guys for having me really appreciate it our pleasure. Thank you. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. I know you got a lot going on right now. You've got uh, school and trying to get that going. You're UCLA and uh, in Los Angeles. The COVID stuff right now is is a big thing, and you've got you've got your plate full. We do. We do for sure. The the numbers are going up, but um, we're doing our best to mitigate all these uh, unfortunate circumstances. Right. How do you go from what, what kind of numbers you were serving before this all hit to where you are now? I mean, that's just got to be quite a process. We were talking before just about how food service in, in college and university has got such an emphasis lately as really a draw to come to the school. And now you've got to decide how to pair all that back and, and manage that. How, how are you guys doing? You know, we're hanging in there. We, um, we have such a great team here. They're all professionals. Um, once this hit, we were going from 32,000 meals and a catering and catering business that was going through the roof to nothing. You know, everything shut down, stopped. Um, we had to pivot uh, quickly and make sure that we took care of our ladies and gentlemen first that work for us, but then also figure out what students are going to be on campus still and, and figure out how to take care of them. So um, 
this is probably the most trying period in my career I've ever faced. You know, there's so much unknown, but uh, we had the backing of the whole UC, uh, UCLA system. So that, that helped, you know, and we were pointed in one direction with the leadership here. So um, with that, with that guidance and with that support, uh, we were able to push forward and be successful. Were you able to keep your staff on or did they have to take a layoff, uh, furlough, or did you redirect efforts and keep production up and, and maybe produce for something else instead of students? Yeah, so so the 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 chancellor in the UCLA the the UC system and made a commitment to all of our ladies and gentlemen and they kept everybody on staff. Uh, that was kind of hard for us. Um, the leadership, myself, Al Farone, who's the director of food and beverage, we reached, started reaching out to everybody, trying to figure out what we can do with um, our business. Our business model has absolutely changed. So we. We reached out. We're doing a, a charity clinic now with a Venice family clinic that UCLA runs. Um, so we do about three to 4,000 meals for them daily. Wow. Uh, we do essential meal programs. So there's still a lot of people on campus, whether it be from the mail room, um, a few class sessions on campus, and we provide meals for them. That's 1,700 uh, meals a day. And then we also do uh, support the VAs, the VA clinics down south here from us. Um, that we do, you know, 100 to 200 meals a day for. So we're really trying to support the community through this tough time um, and in turn, you know, really take care of our ladies and gentlemen that are working for us. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, it, <laughs> to hear you say we went from 32 down to nothing and then you're telling us 1,700 and some of these other numbers, those are those are still, to a lot of people, pretty big numbers, but uh, you're, you're just used to way, way more than that. Still quite a substantial food service operation, though. Yeah, we're built for the um, the <laughs> masses, right? So it's just about how we redistribute our wealth. <laughs> right. Obviously, you've had to make some drastic shifts when it comes to your menu. What, what did that process look like for adjusting your menu to make you a little bit more nimble? And, uh, yeah, how did you decide on what you needed to cut or modify and what did that do for for students uh, as far as selection uh, maybe if they have like special al- allergy needs or diet requirements well I think there's it's two kind of twofold um, when I first got to UCLA you know it was a very successful program so I was walking into something that was already top rated and I was just trying to find my my niche to make it uh, to make it better right uh, so we really focused on the food first, right? It's mm-hmm. all about the food. Um, it's so much different than the private sector. There's not a lot of corporate uh, that you have to report up to and everything. We still have to be uh, financially responsible. But again, it's about students and the food that we're producing for them. So we had to take that mindset of the best food possible, whether it be now for the Venice Family Clinic, the charity meals or the essential meals. and say, hey, how are we going to provide the best food possible uh, for these ladies and gentlemen that we're going to serve? But in turn, I also had to make sure that we kept our our staff and our chefs engaged and understand that, hey, we still, tough times come with uh, consequences, but we still need to, to create that innovation or, you know, strive to be the best even in these times. So, you know, we, we had to push the envelope still, but then also be financially responsible in these kind right. of times. So 
it's been hard to balance. Um, but I like to think that we really, uh, put our foot down on the pedal and, and not really reacted being proactive and how we do things. And we didn't lose sight that it was about the food. And I think creating good food in these times, um, really elevated the spirits of a lot of our, our residents on the hill and our internal and external guests, you know? So I thought the food brought everybody together. Um, so we try to do as, as best possible with what, what uh, we have. So speaking of the food, I know you are a big um, advocate of the menus of change. And that's all about plant-based and um, sustainability and all those things. Are you still trying to keep that involved in what you're doing? or No, I think that's part of our culture, right? So there's no way that we're going to um, ever leave that mindset, that drive to kind of inspire that kind of change. Uh, we, we plan on when we do come back in fall, you know, hopefully we have uh, ten to 12,000 kids back on campus. You know, I think that's that's what we hope for and we want to. Um, create our own vegan restaurant at that point. So um, it hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, that mindset is is still ingrained in us. Um, not only I think is it's just about doing what's right for the planet and and making sure that that uh, that directive is followed out continues. Um, so we really haven't changed that mindset. You know, I think of course uh, I was listening to your podcast, which I think is great, guys. Is you know we still do have that kind of fun fun food for the students that's never going to go away uh but we also want to educate them and say there's other choices out there but again they you know they're students they they're going through a tough time in this university right so they they deserve some of those uh treats <laughs> definitely yeah so has the supply chain been affected for you guys is it is it just as easy to get the the type of ingredients you need to to make these accommodating meals or have you had to start searching and going elsewhere to to make sure that you can uh, get what you need still? No, we, we haven't um, run into any problems um, per se of being short. We work closely with our purveyors, um, especially our produce purveyor, uh, Nature's Produce, to make sure that uh, we're in constant communication. So if one thing is tending to go down, I know whether it be tomatoes or uh, zucchini or something, you know, we work with them to, to make sure that they can fulfill our needs. Cause even though we did go down from 32,000 meals to, uh, whatever, you know, a little under 10 now, um, it's mm -hmm. still a lot, right? So we wanted to make sure that we worked with them, but we have so many recipes, uh, developed through innovation and, and research and development here at UCLA that there's always an option out there, right? So whatever we can get, we can uh, we can turn and, and create a, a great dish with. So we had a lot of flexibility. So I know you work with uh, Carol. Uh, we did a podcast with Carol some time ago on on the menu. And speaking of the, the items on the menu, how closely do the two of you work together when you're planning things out? And is is that changing? Uh, is that something you you guys meet regularly on, or how close do you work with her? She's the uh, food nutritionist at uh, the school, correct? Right. Yeah. So we are almost in contact. Well, before the pandemic, um, it, we were really getting into a groove where we understood, um, where I, she understood what I was coming from and I understood what her, she was coming from. 
And it was, it was really becoming exciting, you know, especially what we did at Rendezvous with the lent, introducing the lento, lentils and the, the tofu, um, introducing the signage that really educates our, our residents. Um, it was just, we, we were finding our stride and everything was going so well. And then all of this happened and, uh, she's off campus right now. So it, it, we still communicate weekly. Um, but the things, the initiatives that we're doing kind of were put on a back burner, um, just so we can navigate through these tough waters right now. But I do anticipate when we're about to get back up in fall, about September or October, that we'll kind of, um, we'll continue right where we left off. Right. I mentioned Carol, Carol Bartolotto. She was on this show a while back and, um, She's she's really into the nutrition side of the food, and and you both really like the um, menus of change. You do a lot of work in that. Can you talk just a little bit about the menus of change and how you got involved with that? It was a UCLA. Uh, so before I got here, it was an initiative that UCLA started, um, the housing uh, dining department. Um, so it's really a, a, a very it's a collaboration between other colleges. Uh, there's Stanford, Harvard. Um, Princeton, schools like that, that got together and said, hey, listen, we have buying power. We we are teaching our um, the new wave of ladies and gentlemen coming up in the college ranks to to better prepare us for the future. And that, that has a lot to do with not only their studies, but the, their eating habits. Uh, so we meet regularly, the menus have changed, and it's really like a, a forum to discuss what's next. You know, what can we do to better uh, prepare our students to make the right choices as they uh, move on from their universities? And I even take it home to my family, you know, about the principles of, of you know, less pro animal proteins, move the vegetables forward, you know, less potatoes, things like that I've taken home to my family to try to educate them because I know the world's going to be a lot different when they get older. Um, so we, we embrace it. We embrace the, the community, the, the dialogue between each college. Cause you know, it's not like the private sector, right? There's no way I'd be going to some other competitor and giving them all the trade secrets. <laughs> but here it's, uh, it's refreshing because it's one goal is to make this, uh, planet better and to make great food for our university. Yeah. So, speaking of the private sector, which you did come from, I think we just kind of jumped into things right away, and I I bet our listeners would like to know a little bit more about Chef Joey and where you came from. You know how how did you get your start in food? Have you always been in the industry? Uh, did you find it later on in life? What does your story look like up until the point where you uh, took position at UCLA? Um, that's a Justin. That's a good question. <laughs> you know, uh, my grandfather owned. Uh, own a menu printing company oh. back in the seventies and eighties. And, uh, you know, now everybody's used to, you can download your own, you could scan it mm -hmm. now, or you can print right off a printer, your own menus. But back then you had a typeset. It was like a newspaper. You had a typeset laminate. Oh, yeah. Um, so you had to meet with all the chefs in each of the restaurants and go over the, how the, you want the menu to look, the different fonts. So I was lucky enough to go with my grandfather and my mother to all these restaurants. And, uh, we used to sit in back in the kitchen on milk crates with the chef. He would pair my grandfather a few dishes and they would sit down and talk about the menus, you know? So I kind of was a deer in the headlights. This is like, <laughs> this is the greatest thing ever. I could, 
I get to be in the kitchen eating all the time. No, little did I know how much hard work goes into <laughs> uh, preparing all these dishes, right? So that was kind of my start. I went to a few years of college and I just realized, I go, this isn't, this isn't for mm-hmm. me, right? And my passion has been food. Um, so I was lucky enough to get a job at the Ritz-Carlton. My brother helped me get a job at the Ritz-Carlton in Naples, Florida. Yeah. It was my first job. I went to culinary school. I got off the plane, went to work. You know, thinking I'm the, the best, the toughest kid on the block. I could cook anybody on the table. And then that was a harsh reality. The first day they asked me to open 500 oysters. And, you know, in culinary school, you open five, six, maybe, and you arrange them on the rock salt. You know, it's all easy. Well, the next day after opening 500 oysters, I realized that uh, my life was uh taking a different path than this glamour and glitz and glamour of being in the back of a restaurant. I couldn't barely move my hands. Um, it was very humbling for me. And then I realized uh, that this profession is uh, about hard work and dedication and um, mastering your craft. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think you ever stop learning. Everybody always says that, but you learn something new every day. And it's about how hard you work. And, and how much you put in, like the guy next to you, the team next to you, building the team. And so I took that Ritz Carlton education. I, I got to, I was so fortunate, traveled with them up to the Washington DC area, then went to Bassers Gulf, Colorado and got to open up hotels with them. Cool. Um, that, that experience, uh, you couldn't put a price tag on it. And then, um, I got a call, said, Hey, you want to come back home? Cause I grew up here in Los Angeles and, they said, you know, Levy Restaurants is looking for my ex-chef goes, hey, you want to come back home to Los Angeles? They need help at Staples Center. And I'm like, I'm a big sports fan, mm-hmm. right? So I said, absolutely. Yeah, I'm in. I'm all in, right? So I, I went there. They moved me to Dodgers as the executive chef. So now I'm at Lakers, Clippers, Kings. Now I go to Dodgers. They go back to Staples Center. I get to do all the Grammys. Wow. Uh, I'm just in heaven. Huh. Uh, I thought this is, this is it. It's hard work, but you know, where else can I be around rock stars and athletes and, and, and still cook? And then, uh, wasn't looking for it. Um, my favorite place on earth besides Disneyland was always UCLA. Um, I went in contact with, uh, the food and beverage director, Al Farone, met him once and I said, Oh, I have to work here. Hmm. So the first day I worked at UCLA, I walked down my office and the next thing you know, the UCLA band is playing the song down on the field and uh, the rest is history. Very cool. Wow. Yeah. Very cool because you experienced some of that uh, hard work that usually people are um, thinking the industry is all the glamour, right? They, they all want to be the executive chef and most people, that's just not how it goes, but um you know, a lot of people start out in the industry and they, they want to aspire to be that chef and all those steps getting there is a lot of hard work. There's a lot of things you got to do and pay your dues, so to speak, right? Those 500 oysters on day one, they were testing you to see how much you really liked it, huh? <laughs> yeah. Like to see if I was going to come back to that right. day. But I, I think you're absolutely right. I, 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 uh, I took the hard path. Uh, intentionally because I, when I did get my first executive chef job, you know, 
uh, I always thought you need to know about food. You under, you need to know about the um, specifics about all the different ways to prepare. But I thought the leadership part was uh, really key. You know, I, I like to think of myself and my, my chefs as coaches, mentors, and leaders, not just managers or bosses. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I probably could have maybe been able to be an executive chef a little sooner, but I wanted to make sure that I was prepared mentally. Um, for what, for what it entails. Cause it's not for everybody. I tell people that are, you know, thinking about getting in this business. And I said, it's, it's a, it's a tough business, you know, but the rewards outweigh everything that I had to go through to get here. Mm. So, so it's been great. It gave me a family. So it's good. <laughs> I was just going to ask you about that. Your, your family, uh, that's one of the areas a lot of chefs, um, end up sometimes with some conflict and how, how does that work for you? You've got a family, they, uh, they're supportive of your, your career and understand the hours you need to put in. They do. I have, I was blessed with a, um, a great wife that I, I was a little older, you know, in, uh, in years before I got married because I wanted to make sure that I was in a place not only to provide for, for her, but if we had children. So she was very understanding. And I think that's one thing that, um, she respected and she wanted to teach her kids is the work ethic that nothing comes to you free. You got to work for everything you have. So, um, and now, you know, 13 years later, we got five kids and oh. I hope none of them become chefs. So. <laughs> well, congratulations on, on that. That's, that's fantastic. Five kids. Wow. That keeps you busy on your days off. I'm sure. Yeah, there is no days off. There are no days off. Well, making the switch over to uh, higher ed is a little bit more conducive for family life. I mean, you, you, I bet you're able to balance that a little bit better since you made that transition. Yeah, um, that was one thing that was refreshing when when we made this transition. Is uh, I think there's a little better life balance, but you know, everything you do, if you don't do it a hundred percent, right? I, I I feel like you're wasting. Um, your time and you're wasting other people's time. Mm-hmm. So there is definitely a better life balance, but I think that when, when you're here, when you're at work, you know, it's that intensity is still there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is different yeah. in, in, a, in, a, in a good way. You know? well, speaking of some uh, things that are different, how has your ethical standards as a chef changed over the years uh, to the point where you, you're, you're all in on this menu's change. You know, Southern California in particular is kind of, they are trendsetters in uh, forward thinking when it comes to many things, in particular food and, and how things, animals and, and uh, people are ethically treated in, in that process. So what did your journey look like in, in your mentality and, and how it's changed over the years? Uh, I think I became... Um in my professional career, I, as I, I grew in this profession, you realize that you don't know everything. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you do a disservice to yourself and your team if you don't listen to outside sources or you don't gauge what's going on in the world because you believe one thing when you're coming up um, and you're always taught, especially at the Ritz-Carlton, you know, the finest is, finest this. But I think you need to step back and, and realize the the big picture aspect of it 
And so I think that's the one of the biggest things is just that I wasn't always right. Um, my way or the highway kind of mentality is out the window. I think you just need to learn from your team and, and learn from your surroundings. Um, so that, I think that kind of helped me be more successful in those careers because, uh, I always worked well by myself, but I, I could work in a team just as effectively. Um, so that kind of helped that mindset. Speaking of ways you, you gain information, the, I know the menus of change is a point of collaboration for you with others. And you mentioned it before. What are some other ways that you, you stay uh, ahead of what you're doing and, and try to learn? Do you read a lot of uh, podcasts or excuse me, a lot of blogs, or do you read news articles or what is your, what are the ways you kind of get your trends and what's coming up? Uh, I do a lot. Of, I, I read a lot of magazines. Um, I think we try, we experiment, we research and develop a lot of recipes, right? And, you know, if we develop 10 recipes a week, maybe only two are good. And in, and to understand and to take back that those two are good enough, you know, we keep building. Um, we do uh, menu tastings here every week and we push the envelope. And I think it's just trial and error. I, I, we're not afraid to fail. Um, we learn from all failures. Uh, so... Um, I do watch some cooking shows. Uh, I read, but then I also talk to our team members out there and what, what they're doing, what they see, you know, because I, I think it's really important to empower our, our ladies and gentlemen, uh, to make decisions and to create some of the food that they see around, um, cause they're doing it for us, you know, so it's a collaboration between our team members and myself, uh, but if I had to say where we do it, I think it's just with trial and error and, and things we see in magazines um, that we want to try that. How can we put a twist on this, uh, certain things? You know? So when you are creating new menu items, what does that process look like? Is, are you, do you have a certain number of ingredients that you're like, okay, this is what we have to deal with or is like anything open? And, and then from there, what does the scaling process look like to to roll that out into your restaurants. I'll call them restaurants. They're basically restaurants. <laughs> yeah, so that's a great question because uh, being in this university setting, right, nutritional value is huge. Allergens are huge since we're, it's such a mass population that we're serving that you need to really kind of be precise on, on how you create recipes. So uh, there's really nothing uh, off the table. You know, we try not to use uh, truffles and everything, but... <laughs> Uh, we will try to, to create experiences for our guests by using lysine. Um, like for instance, uh, we're trying to get on, uh, a forefront of all the, the different kind of medicinal leaves and spices and herbs that are coming out, right? So we research those. Since we're our university, we could have the ability to get grants, um, that help us to grow trees that we're going to use the leaves for in, in different, um, uh, the name will come to me, what we just, we talked about yesterday. Uh, so nothing's off the table. We, we go in, we tweak, we tweak until we get it right, right? We're not about just going in and trying it once and say, oh yeah, that's great. We always try to bring a team in and, uh, collaborate on the effort and talk about the food, talk about how the guests will perceive it. You know, what are we looking for? Um, cause that's another thing too in this profession, right? Your palate's completely different than the 32,000 other meals we're serving. <laughs> so 
you got to take that under consideration. Yeah. Um, but then when we do that, we have to scale everything down um, and then wrap it up because a lot of the dishes here in a restaurant, you're, you're talking more about a single plate, right? Here, uh, one dish might be for 2,000 people. Hmm. So it's realizing how we can scale it up and making sure that we dot all the I's and cross all the T's. So it is pretty labor intensive to get the recipes done. Uh, but once you get it done and, and you taste it and you had that instant guest uh, feedback, it's, it's worth the while. How much time do you actually get in the kitchen cooking in? I mean, with all the things you've got going on, there's a lot of sounds like non-cooking kind of activities. And, and how much time do you still get? Do you still work the line, so to speak? We call it in the restaurant, the line. Do you still get to work there sometimes? Or yeah. No, not, not really. I think uh, I think that's one of the sacrifices that you have to give up when um, you kind of start, uh, you know, uh, taking different levels in this profession. Uh, I do miss it. I think that's what I miss the most is being on the line, making sure your temperatures are right for your steaks, right? So mm-hmm. certain levels have medium rare, medium, you know, those are the things that under the, when you're in the fire, uh, it's that pump you get being so on the no, line. But I, I do. Tr- yeah, I miss that. Yep. That but there's nothing like that the adrenaline rush. Exactly. And that. Um, and you're again. It goes back to being kind of a sport. You're in a team, and you're only successful as the garmage or you know the saute, and you're working all together, and the chef's calling out the the tickets, and you got to plate everything. It's it's awesome feeling when things go right. If things go wrong, it's a lot. It's a big different story. <laughs> Being in the weeds is no um, fun. So no, but yeah, the weeds is no fun, right? When especially when you hear that ticket sound, just keep going and going and going. Yep. Um, but you know, I we still, uh, I still want to get in and uh, really promote the food. It's all about the food and and get in there with the chefs. Um, but I'm very lucky and blessed. We have a great talented team. So. Um, if I have to be on the line nowadays, we're in, we're in, we're in a bad place. <laughs> so, uh, do you guys ever do any interdisciplinary collaborations with other departments on campus? Yeah, uh, we do work with residential life. Um, we do work with the UCLA Food Bank, too, for any of our products that we can't use. We give to them so they can give to the you know, food insecurities program. Um, we do collaborate with Res Life again with food insecurities. Uh, we try to minimize waste as much as possible by giving to some of these organizations and some of these, uh, partners with us at UCLA. Uh, we're always trying to support, um, student sponsored events on any way we can, you know, giving food at cost, trying to help them out, promote, uh, vegan or promote, uh, low carbon footprint, things like that. Uh, so, there's a lot of collaboration here with different uh, different parts of the university, um, and that's what's nice about it. Uh, again, we're all pointing in one direction, so that really helps out. So when you look at um, getting back as things start to ramp up, do you have plans in place on how, how you're going to do that? I, I guess in the beginning of the show we were talking about, I don't know, how many, how many outlets do you have on campus? Um, 
So it's funny you mentioned that because we're, we're keep growing, right? You know, we're, we're trying to take over the world. We're trying to get <laughs> UCLA out in the community and stuff. So right now we have 10, what we call on the hill, which is residential living, residential dining. We do have the Luskin Conference Center, which is our hotel. We have a four star restaurant there. Um, then we're trying to expand. We, we, we have a, I forgot to mention, we have a commissary and bakery in house. So we produce all our own bread. Oh, wow. Um, so that allows us now to supply fresh bread to the hospital on a daily basis. Um, so we have all that. We have about 10 restaurants, the commissary bakery, the the Luskin Conference Center. So we have a plan in place for if it's 5,000 students, 9,000 mm-hmm. students, 12,000 students, 16,000. We have all these contingency plans. It's just a matter of when we hear that, that uh, directive like, this is what we're going to do then we, we, we pull it and run. so did you back down in the number of outlets when you had to go i mean obviously you, you said you went down to just about nothing there must have been a a decrease in some of those outlets you did you close some down yeah. and then the process is when you're back up to full strength we'll call it uh that's the 10 outlets again and all the other things you had yes correct so we had a uh we closed uh a few we repurposed a couple to do the charity meals like i said the the venice family clinic so um we have dining destinations here at ucla which is i think really unique right so it's not like a food court where you can go get italian latin asian it's there's locations that specifically uh we do Asian food in. We do foods of America, so that's North and South America. We do um, uh, Mediterranean food, right? So uh, we had to repurpose them, but when we open back up, we're going to have dining destinations again. Cool, just like we had before. So what what is your what is your favorite thing that that's come out of uh, your kitchens? Do you, do you have a favorite one? A favorite menu item that you've developed over time? Yeah, that's hard. It's like picking a favorite kid. Yeah, okay. Uh, How about top three? I, one, know, one of your top ten. Well, we, we just we developed this concept where we change it weekly, right? So it's called Bruin Bowl. Mm-hmm. And everything comes in a bowl. And we have a, a Mediterranean bowl. We have an Asian bowl. We have an Indian bowl. We have a farm-to-fork bowl. And then we have a Latin bowl. So you can go through and you pick out of six different proteins, six different bases. Um, so that's something we just recently did that I think is unique because we can change it every week, right? So uh, that took a lot of planning to make sure. Now, when we go up and running and we serve 6,000 people out of there, you know, that's going uh, to be a telling sign of how well we prepared for it. But, uh, you know, I... I've been so blessed that we have so many different destinations, right? So I literally can wake up in the morning, think about what I want to eat for lunch or dinner, and then we can go create it. <laughs> so it's just, that's been a good experience. I think I would just be paralyzed by choice. <laughs> There's just so many things. <laughs> yeah. And then don't even start with the bakery. It's all the cookies. Oh, yeah, gosh. <laughs> brownie and desserts. That's just the whole decadent nightmare. <laughs> Well, you you certainly are blessed being out in that um, in the environment you're in with all the fresh produce around. Do you do you change your menus, understanding seasonality of some of the stuff, or do you do you work with a local supplier that just constantly lets you know what's coming up or what to expect, or how do you always make sure you're fresh and getting the highest quality yeah. food? No, we we work closely. Um, 
his gentleman's name is Blake and he we're out we're talking every week about what's coming up you know uh we're very seasonal driven here uh so like you know a lot of things summer is uh of course uh the slower point slower time for us where there's a lot less residents on the hill because summer session isn't as popular for the quarter right so and that's toughest part because summer is so beautiful <laughs> for all the stone fruit, all the different tomatoes, right, and everything. So, um, but we're seasonally focused and being in California, you know, especially with the weather, mm-hmm. like right now the weather outside is 76 degrees. Oh, that's right? that's got to so, be rough. Um, we're blessed to go in the September and October with a lot more produce, uh, great produce than most uh, of the other part of the nation. Um, but we do, we, we go through and then we also work with our farmers saying, Hey, listen, I have 300 cases of zucchini that I need to push out. I don't want to go bad. Right. So we'll buy them all up and disperse them through all the different outlets and, and use them, use them up. So that's kind of our part to not only help our purveyor, uh, be food sustainable, but us, you know, now saying, Hey, listen, we can buy all of this. Like we developed a trash fish program. Well, bycatch, we like to call it bycatch fish program where like you know, a lot of these fishermen were throwing thousands of pounds of, of fish away or grinding them up for fish food. Right. So we we uh, committed to buy two, three thousand, four thousand pounds of a certain kind of species of fish to use up in our outlets. Right. So, yes, the price is good, you know, but it's not all price driven. It's about what's doing best for these fishermen mm-hmm. and, and uh, sustainability part. Uh, of our of our world. So Joy, I just wanted to to ask you, in the wake of COVID and and hopefully coming out of it, what have been some things that you've modified and changed that you normally probably wouldn't ever have come across that you're like, hey, you know what? That ended up being a blessing in disguise and I think we're gonna continue doing things that way. Is there anything like that that that's that's come along that has changed your process or how you do things that you're gonna keep? I, I think our team has uh, bonded in a way that uh, I don't know if we would have. I, I think we counted on each other a lot more during this time, not only uh, professionally related, but personally related. You know, I think certain people have gone through certain things that are kind of eye openers and realizing that um, to really be successful, we need to look out for one another. So I, I think, you know, I like to believe that we're uh, continuing to grow as a group, as a team. But I think this fast-tracked it a little bit where uh, a lot of the chefs now had had to take multiple, put on different hats, right? They work different locations. They've seen different things, right? So I think it continued, it accelerated the growth period of or, or how we became together as a team that I don't think without COVID uh, would have happened as fast mm-hmm. as it did. Wow, that's that's great. And when you can strengthen that team, everything gets better. Yeah, because it's about family. Well, Joey, well, thank you so much uh, for joining us here today on the show. We really enjoyed uh, talking to you and hearing about what you've got going on in uh, UCLA this year and, and coming up. So thanks again. And we always like to get with our guests and ask them about at some point in your life, uh, be it your career, personal life, or something. Someone said something to you that you can you remember and you refer back to. Uh, be it a quote or just something that they said to you. Do you have anything like that where you'd like to share with our listeners today? I think it was 
I, I have it here, but it was just, it was funny because it had pertains to kind of uh, food is failure is a condiment that gives success its flavor, Ooh. you know? So being in the, the restaurant business, I always thought of that one as uh, kind of a good quote. That's a good one. Without I like failure, that. I don't think you grow. Yeah, that is, that's a really good one. <laughs> I've never, yeah, I've never heard uh, any, it, anything put quite like that. So that's good. I, I may use that in the future. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I think it was Truman Capote or something. I can't remember exactly. Well, fantastic. And and do you want to? Uh, we talked a little bit of menus of change. Uh, do you have anything uh, as far as how if someone wants to reach out for more information on menus of change, a, a website or? Yeah, you know, I think it's mcurc.com uh, on the web. Uh, you can go click on there, and it can give you a, a resource to different recipes, uh, di- different collaborations, and. We have a lot of the universities that are participating in there and, and how that you can get a hold of us is on the website. All right. Well, super. Joy, thank you once again uh, for the time today. We, we wish you the uh, best of luck coming up in your semester here at UCLA and, and in the future. And thanks again for being on the feed. Thank you guys for having me. Well, Justin, there we have it. Uh, Joy Martin. What a, what a fun guy to talk to, huh? Good, uh, yeah. interesting guy. And really, yeah, I mean, of... I... I wish we had more time because I would like to go back and really, yeah, ask him about some of those stories at uh, working with athletes and rock stars. You know, I, that there is so much more. I think we really need to have uh, Chef Joy back on the show at some point, just just so we yeah. can shoot the breeze about about some of those uh, past experiences. But but really, I gained a lot from talking with him today about how they were able UCLA and his his business there they were able to stay focused regardless of covid you know it it didn't it didn't affect their their ethics and standards to stand up for what they stand up for to continue to do so so they were able to still provide the same level of dining experience for not only the students that that remained but also to the greater community at large you know they they took their efforts and they reached out and they they were helping other people. It's not like anything they were they were doing was going to waste, right? It didn't get them off their game of staying with the sustainability, the the plant forward, the menus of change. He said it was part of their culture there, so they're it's not something that was going to go away. It was right. still part of them, and it's so important to them to keep it. And like like you said, it, they they were able to continue on with that, and. Um, just scale it back. It would have been easy, I think, to put some of that aside and just say, let's focus yeah. on getting something on the table. But they stayed with their mission. He said it's part of their culture. So that was cool to hear. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. When it's part of your culture, it's just when it becomes slightly inconvenient, you're not going to abandon it. Even when it comes really hard to do, when it's when everyone has the buy-in on it, you're going to stick with it because that's a core value. And that's, that's part of who you are and part of who right. your team is. So... All right, very good. Another one in the can, as they say, huh, Justin? You got it. Done <laughs> and right. done. With that, with that any, any closing thoughts from you for today? Yep, yeah, as always, I would like to remind everyone to hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss another moment with a chef or food service industry professional again. And we would also greatly appreciate some feedback from you. Let us know how we're doing, what we can improve upon. And if you think of it, give us an idea for a future show topic. Right, right. Everybody, just uh, if you want to, reach out to us at volbrathfoodservice.com slash the feed and let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And a closing thought from me is 
one for my dad, as we mentioned last show, a new one for this year. It's whatever you do, whatever you, whatever it is you're going to do, do it like there's a customer watching you, right? Okay, everybody, thanks again for listening today. Have a great week ahead. Until next time, take care. <laughs>